If you had stayed in block 116 Pasaris Street 11, you would know that there are about four McDonald's in less than a kilometer's walk away from you. You might have picked any of the four and be greeted by the McDonald's staff. Good afternoon, can I take your order? If you were back at secondary school, you might have checked your allowance before replying. A double Mac spicy, please. You'll take your tray, walk towards your friends, and begin talking noisily, without realizing just how loud you guys were. Everyone would ignore you and your friends. It was one of the best times in your life. But what you might not have known then was that those were also some of the most vulnerable times. If you had met the wrong person, you might not have been where you are today. Around April 2001, a man walks into one of four McDonald's and chooses not to ignore a group of rowdy boys. He would talk to them, become their friend, and in one month's time, convinced one of them to become a murderer. You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. I'm your host, Yo Guangjin. For us to understand what happened in the months from April to May, we had to dig up an old newspaper article more than 20 years ago, written by Tanya Fong, a reporter for the new paper in 2001. Tanya woke up from bed and rushed out to Aukang Avenue 9, Block 923. She knew that if the new paper was fast enough, they might have gotten an exclusive scoop. She walked towards the HDB and entered through a white plastic cloth. At the front was an area cordoned off with blue clothes and a picture right at the entrance. The victim was Madam Annie Leong Wai Man, a 30-year-old mother. Seated down was a man, Anthony Lowi Tiang. Hey Anthony, is this a bad time? Tanya might have asked. No, no, no. Let's do it. Some stories need to be said. Okay. Anthony, you can start whenever you want to. Tanya pressed the recorder. She was everything that I was not. She was the angel. And me, I'm the devil. I was a bad husband. If you asked anyone who knew, I had messed up. I had an affair. I had gambled at the races. And I was, and I guess, an unlikable person. But she didn't think so. And because of her, we had a wonderful relationship. The man stopped. Hey, Anthony, are you alright? Tanya might have interjected. I was there, you know. I was at the void deck, bringing her papers to sign when she was stabbed. She came down because of me. What if I did not ask her to come down? What if I had brought a pen? What if I've gone up with her? A thousand what-ifs. But one reality. She's gone. 
that day, Tanya Fong would have left and wrote an article about Anthony Le, titled, I Fouled Up Our Marriage, on May 17, 2001. The article would detail his reaction towards his wife's death and paint a picture of a lonely man grieving for his wife, with his last line to Tanya Fong being, I am innocent. Back at McDonald's, four boys looked up towards the man who had just said hi. It was April 2001. Um, hi. Gavin, one of the four boys, might have replied. I sure hope these guys are nuts. All four boys met at McDonald's regularly in Block 444 Pasaris Drive 6. And today, all four observed the man just standing there stiffly with a half-smile. In his arm was a white Pomeranian. Hey bros, I think this man's crazy. Vic might have whispered. Behind the man, a familiar face appeared. It was their friend, Z, who was also the youngest of the group at 15 years old. Hey guys, he checks out. I've met him five years ago. Z placed his arm around the man and brought him to the group. From the records, we knew that a young boy named Z had met a man earlier when he was just 10 years old. He had a pet hamster, and it seemed that his love for pets got him closer to the man, where he would play with the white Pomeranian growing up. The man was his neighbour at that time, before he moved off to another block. It was only recently that they reconnected when he spotted the man walking his dog together with his wife, pushing a pram with a baby in it. So, what's your name, bro? Vic asked. My name's Anthony. As far as we could tell, Anthony saw himself as somewhat of a mentor to the group of boys. Even Vic, who thought he was crazy, benefited from his tutelage. According to the records, Vic confided in Anthony when he was accused of extortion from a boy, when all he wanted was the boy to return his money back. Anthony told him to bring both mothers into the picture, Vic's and the boy who accused him. The matter was resolved for both parties. Over time, they formed a study group where Anthony could help and provide them mentorship. For example, he helped Z cope with his studies and to reason with him when Z felt his headmaster was picking on him. The boys would spend time with Anthony and develop differing opinions of their mentor. For Ka Chiong, who did not spend as much time as the rest, he would have thought Anthony Le as a joker and ignore many of the requests that he gave his friends. For Vic, while he benefited from his advice, he would have still viewed Anthony as very eccentric. For Zi Hao, he admired Anthony's smarts at the races, being able to rely on computers to predict horse racing results. For Gavin, he would exchange telephone numbers with him and found him fun, friendly, and witty. And as for Z, he would have been appreciative of the help and advice that Anthony Le had given him during their time together. While the boys would differ in opinions, Anthony would have looked at all of them with the same intent, as young minds to manipulate and to murder. 
Hey, come on in. Anthony might have said, as Zi Hao walked in. As he entered the door, he might have seen two long boxes in front of him that would have kept two samurai swords. He was a little curious, but not curious enough to detract him from why he was here today. He could still recall the shaking of the ground, the smell of manure, and the bright sun as the horses raced past to the finish line in Kalang. It was there that he learned the other side of Anthony, the smart, intelligent, and methodological man that he was. This man can bet, and soon, I can too. Zi Hao might have thought as he headed to his study. Our partner for this week is Creepy Conversations, a comedy podcast that covers Asian horror stories, true crime, and Asian mythical creatures. They are a twice-weekly episode podcast. Join their hosts, two anxiety-ridden scary cats, Kalai and Nikki, who torture themselves with their own creepy conversations. If you can't get enough, their podcast is also available in video format on patreon.com slash creepyconvos. Follow them with the link in the description section. Horse racing is a complicated affair, which makes punters feel that they can calculate a winning formula in every race. Part of the complication is that most horses tend to be unique in physique, form, and temperament, which makes a winning horse win more consistently. Think of it as betting in the Olympics on the 100-meter race. If Usain Bolt is competing, you would always pick him because he has the unique physique, form, and temperament to win. As such, each race introduces complicated factors, like weights that increases when a horse seems to win more often. The weights can range from 2.7 kgs to 5.4 kgs and changes the predictability of the win. To anyone new in horse betting, you would struggle with all the technicalities, of which Zi Hao would as well. Which was why he was so excited to enter the study and learn from Anthony how he predicted wins through careful, computerized calculations. So here's where the magic happens. Zi Hao might have said. Anthony could have turned on the computer before replying, Yup, I'm getting very confident about the results. I think I might launch a magazine on horse racing. I just need the starting capital. Zi Hao's ears pricked. The guru himself is starting a magazine? How much would you need, Anthony? Well, seeing if you're interested, if you have about $60,000, that would be a good start. Zi Hao's mind might have been thinking furiously. He would probably be borrowing from his family and friends. Work overtime if he has to find the $60,000. How much would you need to kill someone? Anthony asked. Um, what? Would you do it for $100,000? Why does he keep asking me that? Zi Hao might have thought. Look, um, Anthony, why don't you just find a professional hitman? By the way, about that horse betting magazine. Could you find it for me? Yeah, I guess I can. According to the records, we learned that around the end of April 2001, 
Zi Hao admired Anthony's calculating prowess, and at 3am, went over to his apartment to learn from him. It would end with Zi Hao promising to find a hitman just so that he could have a proper conversation with Anthony about horse betting. Anthony would call him every day until Zi Hao would finally admit that he wouldn't know any hitmen and they would never speak to each other again. Zi Hao would have saved that $60,000 and possibly Anthony's wife's life, except that he wasn't the only one invited back to Anthony's place. It was the 9th of May, 2001, and the McDonald's at Block 444 Pasaris Drive 6 couldn't get any warmer. I hate my wife, Anthony said. Both Gavin and Z was at the McDonald's with him. Anthony had been meeting them for close to a month, and while he always joked about killing his wife, this was the first time that he wasn't smiling. Yeah, bro, uh, I, I get that. One of the boys might have replied. You guys know how much I love my daughter, right? Guess what my wife is telling me? She's telling me that I cannot see my daughter as often anymore. The boys looked at Anthony. Again, he wasn't smiling. Look, I need to kill her. But I think everyone would suspect me. We've talked about this before, right? Gavin... I can get 100k. Would you be willing to do the job? Here were his instructions to Gavin that day. First, I need you to buy a knife from NTUC Fairprice near Yunos, which would be how you will murder my wife. What is most important was to steal her Bonia leather wallet in her hands to make it look like a robbery gone wrong. In addition, I need you to buy gloves and a Ziploc plastic bag to minimize opportunity for your DNA to be transferred to my wife during the murder. Here's 200 bucks to cover all the costs needed. Are you ready? Are you ready? By the time Anthony was giving instructions, they had left McDonald's to walk to a nearby coffee shop. Gavin's friend, Z, decided to leave. But for some strange reason, Gavin was still there. Look. I'm going to be upfront with you, man. I prefer you versus Z. I trust that you have the guts to do so. Anthony's voice entered Gavin's mind. Look, um, let me think about it. Gavin continued walking towards Anthony, and before long, he appeared at block 116 Pasari Street 11, unit number 03-539. Wait, why am I here? Gavin might be thinking, before opening the door to Anthony's house. As he walked, he saw two samurai swords inside the box. Shit, why am I here? On his lap, he saw pictures of Anthony's wife and his daughter. A whole photo album was placed on his lap by Anthony. Oh god, I need to get out. Gavin felt a push at his stomach and he looked down. Anthony's fist was on his ribs. Here is where you step. You got it? You're going to attack from the front, where my wife is alone, or sneak up behind her. But here's where you're going to stab her. Do you get it? 
Gavin had no reply. But when he looked up in front of him, there was a bolster, wrapped around with newspaper. Wait, why is there a Japanese knife in my hand? Anthony was holding the bolster straight at his face. Listen to me. Look at the bolster and follow my instructions. Look, at the top of the bolster here is the neck. The skin at the neck is as thin as a newspaper. I want you to cut it. Come on, move your arm. Or do you need a demonstration? The knife left Gavin's hand and went into Anthony's right hand. Gavin could see the bolster being held at Anthony's left arm. He began to slice through the newspaper. You see? Easy. Now, follow what I did. He shoved the bolster into Gavin's face. Go. Go and practice killing my wife. In the next episode, we'll learn what this training led to and how Anthony's motivations pushed him to become the boy's murder mentor. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by One Up Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, you can reach out to us via email at heinous at oneupmediapodcast.com or through our Instagram or TikTok page at heinous underscore oneupmedia. This episode of Heinous was researched, produced, and written by Yo Guangjin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks as well to executive producers Danny Cordy Barito from Mediacorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. Hey